You know, we, uh, I have my stool out today, and for those of you that have been around, that means that uh, I want to be a pastor and talk to you about some things. Uh, the, the, the parable today is actually a very short one, but it's one that more than any other exposes our weaknesses and our struggles and our failures. Think about the words that we've been singing I will worship, right? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I will bow down. Jesus, the name above every name. Holy, there's no one like you. And uh, for just a moment, in t- right here, we, we feel that, don't we? We enjoy thinking about just the riches of the kingdom. Um, we are doing a series this summer, a theme and it's about the messiness of the kingdom. Far too often when we talk about the kingdom, we've kind of got it all packaged in need, something that we look forward to. But yet the parables give us a different picture. You know, Francis Schaeffer, one of my favorite uh, Christian philosophers, his wife, Edith, wrote a book where she used the imagery of a tapestry. And if you've ever seen a tapestry, on the front side, it's very, very beautiful. And that's what God sees. But on the back side, it's messy. You have uh, strings, yarn hanging out. You have all that. It's really messy. But that's what we see. And so these parables that we're looking at all summer are giving us a glimpse into the, the messiness of the kingdom here. You know, one day, it'll be different. But not yet. And we live in a we live in a messy world, don't we? And so uh, the, the parable today is out of Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. Now, it's kind of interesting, you know, in scholarship when you read, they, they attack everything, okay? Why would somebody find his treasure? Maybe it doesn't belong to him. Went hid it again and sold it. But, you know, we know from Josephus that they didn't have banks and things like that. So when they went to war, they would often bury their treasure and then come back for it if they're still alive. So it's actually not uncommon to find buried treasure. And so what Jesus used here, this example, was a very, uh, very realistic uh, behavior, a very realistic picture. But it exposes things in our world that are worth talking about, things that we struggle with. You know, the, Jesus' teachings always give us the ideal. They always do. They give us the ideal, honestly, of which none of us could ever meet. Uh, aren't we grateful that we have a God that doesn't expect us to meet the ideal? Not even possible. Maybe some of you out there are perfect. I'm not one of them. I have my own skeletons in the closet, which Nancy knows about, my kids know about. And we're very authentic and very transparent about those. 
and we can never get to the ideal, but they give us a picture of where we're going uh, and what's about to happen. And so the question that this raises, this one parable, is uh, what are you willing to sacrifice for? How much are you willing to sacrifice? Now think about where we've come. The first week we looked at the parable of the mustard seed, and there we found out that this kingdom grows very slowly. But it's also a picture of our lives. None of us grow rapidly. Over time, I've been a Christian 46 years, and over time I find myself loving the Lord more and more every year. And uh, my life today is very different than it was decades ago. And it grows slowly. I've raised the question here, how did 12 disciples bring the Roman Empire to its knees in 400 years? How did that happen? And now Christianity is the largest religion in the world. 2.3 billion Christians around the world. About 150,000 of them, I mean 150 million are in our country, but the rest are outside. You guys know I travel a lot. I see Christians all over the world just growing and growing. I'm watching the church grow. And that's a picture. God is very patient. He's not in a hurry. And so we have that. And then we went from there the second week to the parable of the sower. And I asked the question there, uh, why do you plant seed? I mean, I'm not a farmer. I grew up on the beach, right? But why does a farmer plant seed? Well, it makes sense to me because they want to grow a crop, Right? They don't want a little crop, they want a big crop. So Paul uses that imagery in 2 Corinthians 9, to the one who sows generously will reap generously, and the one who sows sparingly will reap uh, sparingly. And so the whole reason you grow a crop is for the outcome, to have a, a produce, to have tangible something. And again, there's the messiness of the kingdom coming out right there, that when you look at this uh, and you study carefully how God developed leaders throughout the Bible, the Old and New Testaments, it's pretty f- interesting. Early in their life, when they want to accomplish something great, Moses is a good example, David is another, God kind of put the brakes on. No, you got a lot of work to do internally. And Moses had to go through it. In the wilderness, 40 years. David had to go through it, being chased by Saul. Uh, Abraham, 10 or 20 years of God working with him before he finally got the, the, the covenant made. And so early on in your life, when you seem to have a lot more zeal, God puts the brakes on and says, no, we have work in here to do. Work in here. And then slowly as you age, we see it in all of them, all the leaders, as you begin to age and mature, and you don't care quite so much about having impact. You care more and more about loving the Lord. That's when he begins to yield crops of fruit. So for those of you that are younger out there, hang in there. Your day's coming. I'm in the twilight of my career. And one of these days, all you younger people, I'll be sitting in a rocking chair in an assisted care facility or retirement home somewhere and just praising God because of all you young people that have grown up and taken over the battle, the fight.
The spiritual battle for this kingdom. Yeah, it's messy. There's nothing clean about it because we're on the back side of the tapestry. We're on the front side. God sees the completed picture. We don't. And so here we have this very simple uh, twin parables about treasure hidden in a field and fine pearls. Now, the amazing thing about it is every one of you, I think, knows the Lord's Prayer, right? And what does he say right in the middle of it? Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is here where you live. So all these parables, yeah, they speak of the messiness of life, but what they speak about is what God is doing here. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. This may surprise some of you, but the Bible doesn't actually say you die and go to heaven. You see, heaven is always portrayed as coming to us. In the final chapters of Revelation, the new heavens and the new earth come down. What did the angels say to the disciples when they saw Jesus ascend? Well, what he is staring in the clouds for? He's coming back. We believe that, don't we? He's coming back. And so here we have God's domain, what we call heaven, and our domain, which is called earth. And God cares so much about us that he always is pictured as coming to us. And he wants to come live with us for eternity. That's the story of the Messiah. We have a fabulous doctrine. The doctrine of the hypostatic union. This is just to make sure you get your money's worth today. Fully God, fully human, united in one body forever. Jesus comes to live with us. That's what the new heavens and the new earth are all about, is that he is with us here on the earth. And so these parables, they give us a glimpse of what's coming, and that's wonderful, but they give us a glimpse of how messy it is because we can't ever live up to them. But we should always be moving toward them. We should always be striving. So again, the question today is, what, do you, what, is, what is worth, what do you have in your life that's worth sacrificing for? Or how much are you willing to sacrifice Every now and then I love just sitting on a stool, being a pastor, and just asking you to journey with me down this process and say, what are you sacrificing? How much are you sacrificing? One of the things I love to do with our church, every Sunday when we take the offering, and you guys have heard it, I say thank you for your generosity. Every now and then I'll say, now I don't really know if you're generous or not. All I know is you give us enough money to operate as a church. You could be quite greedy for all I know. That's between you and the Lord. You can tell the difference by this. When you look at all that God has given us as individuals, do you think this way? Oh, that's mine. I've got to protect it. Or do you think, wow, look at how God has blessed me so I can bless others around me. We talked last week, you don't own anything. You're only stewards. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Paul and Peter both talk about that. Everything that you have is not yours. It really belongs to the Lord. What are you doing with that? 
So what is the investment? What's the sacrifice that you're willing to pay? What is it? The, um, in Luke, we have this pretty amazing, scary story. In Luke 18, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And so this young man says, well, I've done all these since I was a boy. I've done all of this. So Jesus said to him, then there's one thing that you lack. There's one thing. Sell everything you have. He didn't sell most things. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, when this man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, Oh, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And just to make sure you get how hard it is, he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know what that means? It is impossible. That's the reality of the kingdom. It's impossible. You see, Satan's greatest weapon is distraction. Deceit and distraction. To get you so convinced of your own goodness and all of that. That you you lose sight of what's important. So... Those who are standing there said, well, then, who can be saved? And here's where grace comes into the story. What is impossible with humans is possible with God. That's what makes it messy, because none of us can ever live up to the ideal standard of the teachings of the kingdom, none of us. So my plea for you today is don't feel guilty Ask yourself the question, what are you striving toward? As you mature in Christ, do you find yourself becoming more generous, more gracious, more compassionate? I love Isaiah 42 and 43. In Isaiah 42, God calls uh, Israel, you were deaf and you were blind. And then in chapter 43, he said, I'm going to convene an assembly of the gods. Let them produce their witnesses. If they can produce one, we'll believe them. Of course, they can't, because there's no God but our God. Then he says, come forth, you deaf and you blind. You are my witnesses. And you see, that's the beautiful thing about the kingdom, is that God knows that none of us in this present fallen, broken world can ever live up to the standard that he wants. And so he steps into our world to show us grace. To slowly move our hearts. Slowly. 
He's never in a hurry. I'm grateful for two things in life. One is that he didn't give me a list of all the sins I had to deal with on the day I came to him. I, I would have broken me. It's just piecemeal. But the other thing I'm grateful for is that he didn't expect it. He's watching me move slowly. So Jesus has given us a glimpse here. But the problem is, is that we want to add the kingdom onto what we have. We want to hedge our bets. Well, that's so different than the world. You see, the messiness of the kingdom in a broken, fallen world, a sinful world, is that we're learning how. Day by day, week by week, we're learning how to draw closer to the Lord. So when we sing all these songs up here, there's a part of us that really means it. And there's a part of us that are afraid to let go. And really trust the Lord. So what this parable is urging us to do is to abandon what in a fallen world becomes the focus on our life. It could be riches. Nothing wrong with riches. I praise God that we have very wealthy people in our church. They support our church and they keep us alive. They support me in my overseas work. I'm grateful for that. Nothing wrong with riches unless it becomes an idol. Then you got a problem. And all of us, none of us are perfectly pure. We've got somewhere in there where it's an idol and somewhere in there where our heart genuinely wants to be able to trust in faith. Am I right? I don't know what it is in each of your lives. But I know I look at Moses and as he goes through life, toward the end of life, he trusts the Lord more and more. And I look at David in spite of all of his bad years, he's a man after God's own heart. And toward the end of life, he trusts the Lord more and more. I look at Paul, right? The time of my departure has come. I am ready to meet the Lord. It's not an easy process. It is not an easy journey. It's not. And these, these parables, they give us the ideal not that we are, any of us are meeting it, but that they give us a picture of where we're going. And they give us a glimpse of what does it mean to step out in faith. I've said many, many times over the years, every church should ask this question regularly. If we closed our doors, Dillon Community Church, you guys that are visitors, you can ask at your church, but Dillon Community Church, if we closed our doors, would the people across the street would they even notice? Would they care? Would they be sad? There's only one good answer to that question. If we closed our doors and they're not sad, we are doing something wrong. We are. So what is it that we have as a church that makes our message viable? What is it? What makes this pearl of great price, this fine treasure, so important that when the world looks at us, they should say, I want that. Some of you have heard me say, one of the things I love to talk about with people in bars and coffee shops, airports, wherever I happen to be in the world, is uh, set aside the stereotypes that you have of the church. Not because they're not true, they are. They just shouldn't be. 
And let's be honest about that. Let's be honest about it with people. And let's, let's present this pearl that is so fabulous that the world wants to see it. You know, it's interesting in Paul's uh, great, his great benediction in Ephesians 3, to whom who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or even imagine, that's the Lord. To him be the glory in the church. You see, here's that pearl right here of great price. It's sitting here, right here. This is it. We are the treasure. We are the pearl. How else is the world ever going to see the, the kingdom? If they can't look at us and see the kingdom, man, we got, we got a lot of work to do. So what are we known for? Do they know us for our politics, our divisions, our anger, our hostility at what's going on? Is that what they know us for? Are we known for that? Our infighting? Our factions? Or are we known for our love, our commitment to love our enemies? I would love to hear the rest of the story on Jesus' last night. New commandment I give you that you love one another. That's not new. That's right out of Leviticus. But what's new is the second part that you love one another as I have loved you. So, uh, Matthew, what were you doing when I found you? Ah, sorry, Lord. I was a tax collector stealing money from everybody. Yeah, I loved you anyway, didn't I? How about you, Nathaniel? Ah, sorry, Lord. I, I do remember. I was embarrassed now that I look back. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I wonder what it was like as he looked at each one in the eye and said, as I have loved you, what were you like when I came across you? And I loved you anyway. Does the world know us for that? Do they know us for a true sense of justice, forgiveness? We forgive people, not because they deserve it, but because they're made in the image of God. That's why Paul can say, forgive one another, as God has already forgiven you. You're not worth it either, to be honest with you. One of my friends who did something really, really wrong, really bad, went to jail for it. He goes, I deserve it, going to jail. No, you don't. You deserve hell. (laughs) Let's be honest. And every one of you are in the same boat. Every one of you. So when the world looks at this pearl sitting right here, this is not some concept up there. When God decided to reflect his glory through us, we became this pearl this fine treasure. What do they see? True justice? True justice is not vengeance. It's not. If you've never read the testimony of Rachel Den Hollander, she was the first female gymnast to come out about Dr. Nasser, and over 250 came out after her. He's serving back to back to back to back to back to back life sentence. He's never getting out. And they got to confront him and on his sentencing at court. And she was the last one of all of these girls. And she said, this is a summary of her statement, Dr. Nasser, I love you. I'm a Christian. I forgive you for what you have done, but I do not accept your apology. Because if you truly knew how much you would hurt me, you would be crushed. 
So my prayer for you, and this is Christian justice, my prayer for you is that God crushes you in, heaven, in a jail so that one day you'll recognize true grace. That's Christian justice. Do the world look at us or do they see us getting angry and fighting? What do they see when they look at this pearl? Is it shining? You see, we are the pearl. We are the kingdom. Is it messy? Yeah, it's messy. Because most of us just look at our lives and think, how on earth can I be, can I be a pearl of great price? It's not because of your goodness that you're a pearl. It's because God decides to glorify himself through you. That's what makes you a pearl. That's what makes you infinitely valuable. Fine treasure. So I want to sit here today as a pastor and say, what is it? Just take a moment. What is it that is the obstacle that's in the way? We all have it. We all have it. What is it that's keeping you from really selling out to the Lord? What is it? The most common thing in Scripture, believe it or not, is wealth and money. It's not the only one, but that's the most common one. Is that it? Is that what keeps you from taking that bigger step? Say, here, God, it's your money. Thanks for blessing me. I want to bless others with it. Is it uncertainty, doubt, discouragement? going to give you just a second. Think about it. Think about what it is. I don't know. I only know my own life. What is it that keeps you from being that fine pearl? And just take a moment and ask the Lord to help you work through it. He's not in a hurry. He's very gracious. Take just a moment. Father, we confess to you that we don't even know how to accomplish your kingdom, which is so perfect in your world, and bring it into our world. Your will be done here where we live in our world as it is in your world. And yet, Father, we desire that. Lord, every one of us here, it's hard to believe we're a pearl of great price, and yet we shine. As Isaiah said, we are deaf and blind, and yet you chose to reveal your glory through us. Thank you for your incredible grace and patience, never being in a hurry with us. Lord, I look out at these people. I'm so proud of them, everyone, setting aside time today to come and worship you, just to find more of that connection.
Thank you. Thank you for them. In your son's name we pray. Amen.